This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Slovaji. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. In late August, President Biden issued an executive order to forgive as much as a half trillion dollars in student debt. The president characterized the act as relief for, quote, those who need it most, unquote, despite the fact that the 42% of Americans with college degrees enjoy a substantially lower rate of unemployment and can expect on average an additional $1 million in lifetime earnings. While critics characterize the move as a gift from poorer Americans to the wealthy college graduates, defenders of debt cancellation contend that the debt was an overwhelming burden that threatened to stifle borrowers' family formation and life ambitions. Are taxpayers owed an explanation as to why student debt should be forgiven? And before spending more than the Wall Street bailout that followed the global financial crisis, shouldn't the president explain the cause for the chasm that seems to lie between the cost of a college degree and the benefit that leaves graduates without the ability to pay it back? My guest today is Dr. Beth Akers, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where she focuses on the economics of higher education. Dr. Akers has researched the incentives leading to both the trend towards greater student indebtedness and the lack of accountability for institutions of higher education that facilitate public student borrowing. She will share with us her perspective on the president's executive order, including who benefits, who pays, and what are the likely effects on future student debt and college tuitions. When I return, I'll be joined by AEI Senior Fellow, Dr. Beth Akers. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Solvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by American Enterprise Institute Senior Fellow, Beth Akers. Welcome back to Hubwonk, Beth. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here with you. Wonderful. Well, uh, I thought to reach out to you. You had a, a wonderful article in the Boston Globe and, and, and some other places discussing uh, the most recent um, uh, executive action by President Biden to forgive uh, student debt. We're going to get into the details of that. I'm uh, talking to you from Boston. It's the first week in uh, in September, so we're buzzing. Uh, there's lots of students here. Uh, perhaps they're all excited about this uh, this uh, uh, debt forgiveness, but I want to take a deeper look and find out what it means for the rest of us. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, you wrote a piece in the Globe talking about the details, but I, I want to go deep. What exactly uh, has happened? What did the president do, and who is going to benefit from this executive action? Okay, great. So. Officially, nothing has happened quite yet, but we have a promise from the White House to really do two main things. One is what we've all been talking about. It's that we're forgiving between ten dollars and $20,000 in student debt for people who are below income caps, depending on whether or not they received a Pell Grant, which tells us if their family was pretty well off or not well off when they went to college. So that's the piece that we've been buzzing about. The other piece that we've talked less about in the popular media is that at the same time, the president has proposed that we'll make it much cheaper for students to repay their loans. What a lot of people don't realize is that we already have repayment programs for federal student loans that cancel loans for students if they prove to be unaffordable over a long period of time. So what that means is that a borrower pays back an amount that's affordable based on their monthly income, and then at either 10 or 20 years, 20 years for most people, 
we would just forgive whatever was left. Now, the president accelerated that by reducing the share of income that needs to be paid on a monthly basis and making it so that debts are all forgiven after that 10-year period. So, you know, we're all upset about the loan cancellation. This is probably the much more consequential piece of the policy change. I see. So one is sort of a one-off, you know, 10,000, boom, it's wiped out if you're a a debt of traditional, uh, I guess we're going to get into this public um, loan and mm-hmm. for Pell Grants, it's $20,000. Right. Um, before we get into more of that, what are the estimates? You you you, you put two buckets. One is the, the $10,000 and $20,000 forgiveness and the other is the acceleration of the payments. Mm-hmm. We have an estimate of how much money that will cost uh, the federal government. And because the federal government doesn't have its own money, how much will it cost all of us? Yeah. So the best estimates for the cost of the cancellation piece, it's about $500 billion. But to be honest, I'm not putting stock in any single number. We don't really have a good sense of who's going to apply and get this benefit, um, you know, or how wide reaching it's going to be. Researchers just don't have the data to know who's going to benefit. And so um, there's a lot of uncertainty about what that total price tag is going to be. Other than that, it's going to be huge. Um, That's that is certain. Um, the other piece of it, we don't quite know yet. And that's much more difficult to estimate, but um, certainly increasing the current costs of that program by a very wide margin. So that's a big number, even if we don't, we can't hang our hat on precisely $500 billion. Yeah. The Wall Street bailout in 2008. And, and uh, we're still talking about that uh, more than a decade later about uh, what a boondoggle that was, perhaps. Uh, this is of that size and magnitude. So it was uh, of that size. And remember, that was money that got paid back, right? Through the right. TARP that's program. Right. This is money that's going out the door and never coming back. So let's talk about it's going out the door. Clearly, people who have student debt have uh, gone to college, at least some college. Uh, what percentage of people go to college? And I'm going to slip in another question. Are these debts just something at their local bank or are these particular student debts, that is public student debts versus, let's say, if we went to the bank and borrowed money on our own? Great. Yeah. So the vast majority of outstanding student debt in the economy is federal student loans. And so the president's executive action only addresses loans that were taken through the federal student loan program, which is like more than 90% of the debt. People sometimes take private loans, um, most often for graduate school and sometimes for undergraduate if the maximums that they're allowed to borrow from the government aren't enough. Um, But that's a small share that's left untouched here. So we're only talking about the federal program. And so this isn't imposing a cost on banks or the the financial markets in any way. This is all just a federal program. Um, And and a lot of students are taking, I can't remember the share of students who are taking um, debt, but we've seen it steadily increasing over time. And the ability to finance higher education out of savings or by working your way through college, um, it's just no longer existent for most families. So financing through federal loans has kind of become the uh, de facto way of paying for college in the United States. Now, the president has characterized this uh, debt as enormous and crushing and and, and really uh, made it sound as if people really can't start their lives. They, they mm-hmm. graduate college, they've got this huge uh, millstone around their neck. They, they can't, you know, they can't buy houses. They can't start their lives. Uh, it's this, this debt is prohibitive. In our earlier uh, conversation, our earlier episode, you characterized how much debt the average student has and, and where the small amounts and the big amounts. Let's, let's start broadly. What is the average uh, student graduate with an undergrad, a BS? Um, uh, how much debt do they have? 
A typical student leaving a bachelor's degree will have about $30,000 in debt. And that is because that is essentially where the limit is on federal student borrowing. Mm-hmm. I see. And but there are those who have a much larger debt. Um, what, what are those who have this, say, $100,000? What, what, what would characterize that kind of a student? So students with those six-figure debts that are often portrayed in popular media characterizations of the issue, those are people who borrowed for graduate school. So unlike undergraduate borrowing, which has these pretty reasonable limits, right? $30,000 for a degree that on average pays a million dollars of extra earnings. That seems like a fair trade, right? For graduate school, Students are able to borrow largely without limit. And so that's where you get those really large balances that, um, you know, surprisingly, though, these aren't the ones statistically that people have the most trouble paying back. Um, In fact, it's the very low balance borrowers who struggle the most. The reason is because those are people often who started college and didn't finish. I see. So I, I, I don't want to go too far down this hole, yeah. but I do want to say the, the president talked about these as the people who are most in need, uh, mm. they, uh, um, college um, graduates who are most in need. It, it seems odd to me um, relative to those who don't go to college. Naturally, if you don't go to college, you don't have college debt. If you do, you may. Um, what does it, What is the benefit? I'm sure you've studied this. What is the lifetime benefit of a lifetime of a college degree in terms of earnings, and are, what are the relative, let's say, unemployment rates? I don't know if you have that number, those yeah. numbers at your fingertips, but someone must be measuring that. Well, I really take issue with the fact that you know policymakers are characterizing people with student debt as the neediest in the economy. Um, not everybody who goes to college is getting a great deal, right? We know that because we read the the New York Times reports about people who are working as baristas with one hundred thousand dollars in debt, right? So we know those cases exist, or people who really are struggling. But the averages tell a different story, and the average is what's the typical experience. Georgetown um, University um, has a program that studied the returns of education very intensely. Their estimates indicate that uh, someone with a bachelor's degree will earn an extra million dollars over the course of their career relative to someone with just a high school diploma. Um, So taking out $30,000 in debt gets you a million dollar bump in earnings over your lifetime. Seems like a pretty good deal. And in fact, it's for the most part, a wealth enhancing activity to go to college, even if you have to borrow to get through. And yes, we know that college educated workers have lower rates of unemployment than less educated workers. Um, Sort of funny almost to think about the fact that we put these student loans repayment on pause throughout the COVID um, economic downturn and even till you know, just recently until the president promised to have those loans go back into repayment at the end of the year. But college educated workers were the ones who largely kept their jobs during the the, the recent maybe recession. Um, and that's generally the case that these workers are have much more robust jobs and attachment to the workforce. Indeed, I hadn't thought about that angle, but I guess the justification, and uh, we, we can uh, talk about that now, w- w- the legal justification, if there is one, was presumably there was an extraordinary event. Uh, I guess it was uh, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic that um, uh, caused an emergency. Um, mm-hmm. Those people with college degrees, m- many of them are, are commuting from Zoom, whereas their right. didn't go to college. 
who maybe borrowed money uh, to buy a truck or a van or to start an apprenticeship as a, a plumber or you know whatever mm -hmm. they happen to have, those people had to go to work or couldn't go to work. Mm -hmm. uh, they were most impacted. College graduates were, in many cases, unscathed or perhaps did better. And right. yet this is sort of the justification for this forgiveness. Do I have that right? I, I, or am I missing something? Well, I think that's the legal justification. So there's the, you know, the political angle. I think that Democrats largely feel like people who participated in federal student lending are victims in some sense. That seems to be a separate argument from the, what they're using as the legal justification for this executive action. So yes, if you look at, you know, why can the White House do this? Why does President Biden have the authority to cancel student loans? They're leaning on some authority um, that was given to use in times of emergency. And so I think they are ascribing the current moment to an emergency that was caused by COVID. In reality, I don't think anybody really believes that to be true, but that is the legal basis for this intervention. Indeed, the, the pandemic seems to have hit the college graduates least hard, and yet they're the ones with that are getting this money. I want to go a little bit deeper into this idea that, um, uh, again, the narrative that college uh, graduates are victims of something. I think I may actually agree with this point because I think, uh, let's imagine we were to take out money to buy a house. We have a $500,000 house, uh, we have $500,000 mortgage, let's assume a 100% mortgage. We're essentially trading the debt for a house that we value more than the debt. And if we default, the, the bank takes the, the uh, house back. So assuming mm -hmm. uh, that uh, a college degree is worth something, um, we, we borrow money, we buy it, and then we have it. And it, as you say, generates a million dollars worth of lifetime income. If indeed it doesn't, meaning these people are indeed victims uh, mm -hmm. and they sold uh, uh, an education that is either worth less than they paid for it or indeed genuinely worthless, isn't that the bigger problem? Isn't that essentially almost like a um, predatory loan uh, uh, <laughs> Giving yes. up. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah. to me, like everyone is admitting that a college education isn't worth what you pay for. It. Otherwise, you wouldn't need relief. Yeah. So great point. So in normal consumer credit markets, there's a process called underwriting that happens. Underwriting basically means that before you give anybody a loan, you look into their circumstances and you say, does this seem like a loan that you'll be able to pay back to me? <laughs> we have no underwriting in the federal student loan program. So if that sort of lending were happening in the private market, absolutely, we would say, these are predatory loans. We're handing out loans to people that data tells us that they'll probably never be able to repay. Um, yet we do that semester after semester in higher education. And the idea is that we don't want to constrain access. We want everybody to be able to go to college. I love that idea. I wish everybody could go to college. But if we're going to put it on the individuals to pay for it themselves, uh, we're not doing anyone any favors when we give them loans that are unaffordable. So I think it's absolutely fair to say that some of the lending that takes place through the federal loan program is predatory. Now, again, I want to emphasize, on average, people are doing great with these loans. They're low interest loans to invest in something that historically has given a great return because of the employment opportunities that it creates. But there are many instances where we almost know full well before the loan is made that that borrower will never be able to pay back. And yet semester after semester, loans are given out like that. 
Again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but again, we were talking about two groups of people in the United States, those with college degrees and those without, and we've already established the earning potential is higher for the graduates that, uh, in general than mm -hmm. those without. Um, uh, are there income caps within this? In other words, if I do uh, go to a good school, get a great degree and make lots and lots of money, and yet I hold I hold debt because, well, it's a, a subsidized interest rate. It's a lower interest rate. So yeah. You know, a wise um, person would perhaps leave that debt alone and borrow, mm -hmm. you know, uh, keep it as long as he wants. Um, is there an income limit or is this indeed just a handout to relatively wealthy people? Well, the income limit from the executive action was individuals earning under $125,000 a year and couples earning up to $250,000 a year. So for context, those are two and three times the median household income in the United States. So these are not particularly aggressive limits. If you think of a household earning $249,000 a year, I, I tend not to characterize them in my mind as being particularly needy, though, of course, you know, if someone would argue in New York City, that's not a great um, standard of living. Um, but, you know, I really believe that the administration in putting those income limits in place was responding to criticisms from the right before this policy you know, was announced, which was that this is a hugely regressive intervention, that when you give money to cancel student debt, especially for graduates, um, you know, you're giving a lot of money to people who are at the upper end of the income distribution and totally ignoring the bottom, which is people who didn't go to college at all and didn't borrow or people who started college and, and didn't finish, right? So I think of there as being three groups. There's the people who never went to college. These are the lowest earners in the economy. Then there's the people who started college, didn't finish, but have some debt. This is a group I'm genuinely worried about, and I really do think they need some support. And then there's the people who took out loans and finished. So those last two groups are the ones that get the aid when it should have been the first two <laughs> that, that are getting economic support. And, and indeed, and that sounds like uh, it would be theoretically um, politically unwise. I mean, we, we discussed briefly whether it's it's legal. The question of uh, debt forgiveness, I think it was last year or that question was put to Nancy Pelosi. I had the quotation here. Um, she said uh, unequivocally, quote, the president can't do it. So that's not even a discussion. Mm -hmm. Not realizes that. Um, she said, but the president can only postpone delay, but not forgive. Yeah, and yet he has, or at least plans to forgive. Um, uh, is this politically, even whether you're on the left or you're the right, um, we talked about those who never went to college being in the minority. And if we're mm -hmm. talking about $500 billion of expense and we all pay taxes, that's you know, my back of the napkin calculations about $3,000 per taxpayer. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the United States, whether you went to school or not, will, it will cost them $3,000 to give college graduates $10,000 or $20,000 or, mm -hmm. or more. Um, how is this politically wise? I mean, again, this may be outside your expertise, but it seems oh, to me- Oh, but I have ideas. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's outside. Ideas. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I think- a lot of people knew this was going to be unpopular before it came. You know, um, the far left was really pushing for this aggressive cancellation proposal. If you look back at what Biden was saying during his campaign, he had the most modest of all the forgiveness proposals from all the um, Democratic candidates in the, in the primary leading up to the 
2020 election. And, and then some of his remarks early in his presidency, you know, reflected his concern that a lot of the money was going to be going to graduates from these elite institutions. So, you know, I think he was fully aware of the policy concerns. But, you know, we also were seeing, you know, prior to the most recent legislation passing, I think there was a real sense that Democrats had not accomplished enough with the control in D.C. that, you know, they'd been holding and that it was going to be necessary for them to check off something going into midterms that they could hang their hat on as an accomplishment. My sense was that this became that something that they felt like, you know, maybe it was legally dubious for, you know, for them to carry this out, but that they were going to give it a shot. Um, I was hopeful when the recent legislation passed that they would abandon this effort. But, you know, it must be that the calculation is that this is um, beneficial to a segment of Democratic voters that they really need to turn out in midterms. And the fact that it irritates Republicans, the fact that it's not enough for, you know, super progressives, it kind of doesn't matter because, you know, elections are about turnout, right? And so if if it drives turnout among this group, you know, the highly educated, um, mostly Democratic voter, um, then that may, be, that may be the calculus. It's got to be, because I don't think that it was a surprise to anyone um, that there was, was sort of a backlash when this came out. Yes, uh, as you say, the, the far left, uh, I think the the uh, the signs I read as uh, don't go small, cancel it all. So they're yeah. uh, satisfied with the twenty thousand dollars. They want it, you know, it all. Um, and of course, on the right, uh, looking out for the working man. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think this is, of course, the classic case of concentrated benefits and diffuse costs. Uh, yeah. We see uh, uh, far too often. Now, for those listeners who are like, look, you know, look, the government spends money on all kinds of things I don't like, giving it to kids who went to school and, you know, struggling to pay it back. You know, I, I can still sleep at night. I, I, I don't mind. This is this is not that bad in my list of of, of um, things a, a president can do wrong. But I, I'd like to look more deeply at sort of a, as a, an economist looking at the effects of these kinds of acts that will have unintended consequences on future borrowers and also future uh, to uh, those who set future tuitions, uh, putting on our economist hat now and say, okay, uh, if this is water under bridge and we can't do anything about it, perhaps we can, but if we can't, what is the effect on, uh, let's say, that person about to consider going to school? Maybe they just pulled up to, to uh, drove to Boston for their first uh, <laughs> year of college. Uh, what is the likely effect on the borrower? And then let's talk about what's the likely effect on, on universities going forward. Yeah, great point. I mean, you know, I do a lot of call-in radio shows and those callers are pretty angry about how this is unfair. And I say, yeah, yeah, but life's not fair, right? And so that's the least of my concern. My concern is going forward, what happens. And what I'm very afraid of is that we've sent the message to future students that when you borrow and take on student federal student loans, this is not money that you're going to have to pay back. Now, can you imagine you're about to go out and buy a car, Joe, and you have just been given the message that, okay, you're going to take out a loan to, to, to pay for that car, um, but you're probably not going to have to pay it back. Do you think that changes the type of car you're going to be looking for? Of course, of course. <laughs> okay. So my belief is that, and this is untested, right? We've, we've never done anything like this. So we're trying to, we're sort of projecting, trying to imagine what's going to happen. My concern is that that student now has that message that they don't need to pay back those loans. And they're thinking, 
hey, maybe I will go to that really expensive college. Maybe I will buy a car so that I can commute, a, real, a nicer car, you know? Um, maybe I'll, you know, borrow, even though I have some money in the bank account, right? This additional willingness that students will have to spend is bad for them because they might actually have to pay it back. We don't really know what's coming. Um, but it's also bad because institutions, colleges and universities are gonna respond to that by raising their prices. Now, people say like, Beth, you're so cynical, right? People people aren't, aren't bad. They're always gonna try to do what's best. This yeah. is basic economics, right? This is, this is, you give people more money, they're willing to spend more, okay? Subsidies drive up willingness to spend. And then at the same time, when you have an increase in demand that comes from that willingness to spend, sellers, in this case, colleges and universities, increase the price. It's not controversial. I'm not saying that these are bad people or bad institutions for that happening, but I really believe that that's what's to come. And with, you know, the run-up in borrowing and the, the rampant tuition inflation being the really primary concerns about higher education finance in this country, it seems like we've just exacerbated both of those problems. And indeed, if you know the money you're borrowing to go to school may not have to be repaid, as you say, you're, you're willing to spend more, but you're also pressed less inclined to scrutinize the value of that education. Mm -hmm. uh, if you take on a lot of debt, uh, you know, you better bloody well know how to pay it back. If you don't have to pay it back, you know, what difference does it make if you go to law school or you get a degree in puppetry? Really, it's, you know, it's a, a debt that is not your uh, your concern. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm very concerned about that because some of our elite schools already don't charge tuition for uh, beneath a particular um, uh, uh, income. I think it was Princeton announced just yesterday that it, uh, families making less than $150,000 don't have to pay any tuition and they actually get a stipend. Right. Um, but we're talking about those expensive schools who have, let's say, um, the value of their degree may not be uh, what we hope. Right, right. right. Um, so I, I, I want to, of course, give us time to say, okay, look, this is a big sort of Gordian knot mess of, of, of distortions in um, uh, price and ability to pay and uh, and signals. Uh, we don't know if what we're spending on college is worth it. We don't know how to go about uh, borrowing. We're not underwriting. You mentioned that. So I'm going to give you a chance because mm -hmm. you study this all the time to say, okay, we're a, we'll say, queen for the day uh, <laughs> or, or longer. And you were setting policy. And perhaps we will see a big change in, um, in uh, uh, control of Congress after the November election. What would you encourage those people who want to roll up their sleeves and not put ourselves in the situation where we have uh, lots of kids who have debt and can't pay it back? What would you do to reform the system to make it, uh, uh, let's say, from an economist's perspective, more efficient? Yeah, great. So there's one thing. I mean, there's lots of things, but I'm going to give you the one thing that I think is the most consequential. I think we need to stop making loans that we know are unaffordable. Right. So right now, like we said, there's no underwriting in federal student student loan program. All institutions are eligible to give out student loans to the federal maximum, regardless of whether their last cohorts of students have been able to repay those loans that they took out. You've got to end that system. So it's, I just want to take, I want to ask. So you're saying there's schools that rely whose graduates reliably do not pay back their loans. In other words, they're handing they're charging for uh, degrees. Kids are graduating and they're defaulting on a consistent basis. And there's a pattern there's sort of no, there's nothing to stop that right now. Exactly right. And we've heard a lot about how for-profit institutions do that, right? I mean, people love to hate on any for-profit 
participation in education, but this is happening at public institutions. This is happening at private nonprofit institutions. Certain programs of study um, are reliably churning out people who can't afford to pay back their loans and the loans end up getting paid off by taxpayers. That's got to stop. And right now, the gatekeeper for those loans and who determines you know, which institutions are able to participate is a process called accreditation. So there's these third-party organizations that say, yes, you look like a lovely college or a lovely university. Go ahead, give federal student loans to your students. And the Department of Education relies on that stamp of approval to say which institutions can get loans and which institutions can use Pell Grants. I think we've got to get rid of that convoluted process and just look at the results. So if an institution has students taking out loans that are succeeding in paying them back, keep them in the program, keep allowing them to use taxpayer dollars because it's supporting good investments. If institutions are constantly having students default on their loans, cut them out of the program altogether. Now you could start to scale it back so that poor performance means lower loan limits for students, or you can get them out of the system entirely. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it, but I think the what it boils down to is just not making new loans that are unaffordable for students and end up getting picked up by taxpayers. It's not good for taxpayers. And it's also not good for the individuals, right? Yes, it's going to affect the eligibility for some student or the accessibility for some students to get into college, right? Because, you know, they may not be able to take the loans to go to their local community college or their local um, private nonprofit institution. But those loans that they would have gotten were loans that were going to have them underwater for the next decade of their life anyway. Those aren't good loans. They're not loans that we want to make. So that's the one thing I would change. And I think that would have a lot of ripple effects that would, um, you know, end up with a, a much better system of finance. So you were kind of coming for a full circle and with my question about it may be the case that we almost clearly can accept that in many cases, uh, a college degree is not what worth what you paid for it. So mm -hmm. by holding uh, institutions accountable that don't deliver on the promise to, in a sense, improve someone's life. Those are no longer available, but it, it will have, let's say, the unfortunate effect of, of excluding uh, those people who need loans to go to school from getting that degree. But what mm -hmm. you're saying is that degree wasn't doing them any favors. Uh, yeah. I, I guess the effect would be then to um, encourage schools to have either more useful majors or lower tuitions. I, I, am I stating <clears throat> the opposite there? Yeah. And either of those things are fine with me. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think this would, fortunately or unfortunately, this might affect that puppetry program that you were talking about, <laughs> for example. Um, and I don't, I don't think we should do away with all arts programs, right? That would be a potential consequence of this, but I think we should subsidize them differently. So stop putting the these unaffordable loans to students to pay for them and say, if we socially value arts, we need to pay for it right? We need to give grant money to institutions or give grant money to students who want to study in these programs. The idea of giving people unaffordable loans in order to sustain something with social value is just kind of a wacky idea. Indeed. And also the, some of your proposals, you had an excellent article in recently published in National Review talking about um, consolidating the the debt process. So you're, 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 you're your first answer was about how to reform how we uh, hold institutions accountable. But I think you also had uh, written about streamlining the process for getting a loan and in a sense, having everybody go to one place and have some sort of standardized, uh, less Byzantine uh, process that, again, um, complexity uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, is a subsidy for the rich and informed, uh, the complexity also excludes those people who have less money, less time, less experience, uh, parents who didn't go to college and don't understand the process. You had some good ideas along that. So share with our listeners what you had in, in mind yeah. there. Yeah, you know, people are often surprised to learn that there's already protections in place for borrowers who end up with unaffordable loans. And that's really sad. I mean, we are we are already forgiving loans that prove to be unaffordable, but the people who are taking advantage of that are people who go to expensive law schools and know how to navigate the system. So the reason that that's not known by everyone is because we don't have a streamlined system. There was never a point in time where policymakers decided hey, let's make sure that, you know, when people borrow to go to college, that if it's unaffordable, then they don't have to finish paying it back. And so instead, we've had these piecemeal policy changes. And over time, you know, some incremental change to executive order, a little bit of legal um, legislative change here. And so we now have a universal program safety net so that everybody is eligible for that benefit, for that protection. Um, But you got to jump through hoops to get it. So we've got to just do away with that. We, we need to pass legislation that just, you know, puts in place a system that everybody's in the same boat. Automatically, um, they're going to pay back based on how much they're earning. And automatically, if that loan is unaffordable for them in the long run, then it gets forgiven. That way, these aren't benefits that are exclusively reserved for people who know how to navigate the system. And, you know, it's also likely, I think, that if we have that working better, we'll stop having these calls to have these widespread, inefficient loan cancellation events because people will recognize that we are helping the people who need it the most. Indeed, I think um, we, we, those are excellent ideas, a, a sort of a streamlined way to get into college and, and a, a more sort of transparent accountability for those colleges that they ultimately will borrow to, to go attend. Um, I know our, our listeners have enjoyed our conversation uh, and uh, want to read more about your work. I mentioned uh, your article in, in National Review and also um, in The Globe, your opinion piece. Where can our listeners go to find your work um, on an ongoing basis to, to sort of help uh, inform them on, on future policy uh, choices? Well, my day-to-day rants can be found on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Beth Akers, and all of my work is published at the American Enterprise Institute. A great, fine institution. I, I, re, I read your, your work there as well. I, I really appreciate uh, your time today, Beth. You've, you've been a, a wonderful uh, um, uh, guest on the on the podcast. This is this hits home here in Boston. Uh, you know, every third person is going to school, so uh, this affects uh, everyone here. So we're, we're very grateful for your, your uh, research and your knowledge and the time today. Thank you for joining Hub Long. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support the show. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. If you want to help make it easier for others to find Hubwonk, it would be great if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about topics for future Hubwonk episodes, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.